Hey everyone, this is Jeannie, I use she, her pronouns, and you're listening to Sex Talk Happy Hour, a podcast hosted by the New York City Alliance Against Sexual Assault. This is our official welcome back to the podcast after the new year. I hope your 2019 has been off to a good start, and if not, I do hope it gets better soon. I'm so incredibly excited to share this month's episode with you. You'll hear some familiar voices. First, we have Lisa Tinglem, who, if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you might recognize her from one of our earliest episodes called Healing and Dinosaurs. We are also thrilled to say that we got a chance to talk to actress Ashley Atkinson. You might recognize Ashley as Connie from the film Black Klansman. I don't know if you heard about that movie, but it made kind of a splash a little while ago. Or you might recognize her as Terry Mitchell from the television show One Dollar. She's in a slew of other stuff too, and we are so, so happy to have had the chance to speak with her. These two amazing women came over to my apartment to record this episode, so you might hear a slight change in sound quality. We talk about the fat acceptance movement, what real body positivity is, and what romance, sex, and intimacy is like sometimes as plus-size women. As always, our episodes come with a warm self-care heads up. We encourage you to take care of yourselves as you listen today, and I really hope you enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed being part of it. All right, here is my interview with Lisa and Ashley. Thank you so much for being here today. So can you first start off with just introducing yourself, the pronouns that you use, and what you do for a living? Sure. I'm Ashley Atkinson, she, her, hers, and I am an actor director, writer, and occasional producer. Uh, My name is Lisa Tinglum. My pronouns are she, her, hers as well. And I am a content creator right now, primarily working in size-inclusive fashion. Awesome. Well, thank you both for being here today and for particularly being in my very hot apartment. Uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation. So I reached out to you two because, one, I wanted both of you to be on the podcast, but also because you're both really fierce and vocal advocates for body positivity and fat acceptance. It's the new year, and a lot of folks have resolutions that have to do with losing weight. So going to the gym more, losing blah, right? And honestly, like, just FYI listeners, it's a billion-dollar industry that profits off of fat phobia, but that's another conversation. Boom! So, <laughs> so I thought in lieu of that, I wanted to talk about body positivity to some badass women who happen to be plus-sized, right? So before we dive into all the other fun topics, and hopefully the topics are actually fun to you too, uh, I want to first get your personal definition, understanding, and experience about what body, body positivity actually is, and, and not just the Instagram-friendly quotes with the nature backgrounds that we see all the time. For sure. I think first like we have to address the changing nature of body positivity as a sort of uh, it initially, I, I'm really on board with the concept of body positivity at this point. I thought at the beginning that it was a softening of fat acceptance, that it was sort of a cosmetic corporate way to say fat acceptance. And I think honestly, what changed that for me is when the idea of body positivity gained visibility among people with disabilities, people who have challenges and all sorts of, uh, even things like about skin tone. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are performers who are what they would call dark and how they feel differently regarded by the industry than lighter, especially females, Mm -hmm. uh, than lighter females. And that coming into uh, the purview of body positivity. And it's become... 
this really great all-encompassing term for a lot of the challenges that especially people in fashion and in the arts and in entertainment face. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think a big part of that too, kind of piggybacking off of what Ashley said, was that it's not just about like weight or size or shape, but also things like body hair or Mm -hmm. cellulite or other things like that. Mm -hmm. And the big things that I think are important to me when I think about body positivity are one, that it is not a shifting of the beauty standard, but it's like an expansion. So we're not kind of just moving, scaling the beauty ideal upward. So yeah, it's still, you know, the, the beauty ideal is an hourglass, but now it's okay if the hourglass is larger, you know, that we're actually expanding outside of that. Right. So that's really important to me. And the other thing that I think is really important that we don't talk enough about in in body positivity is that while body positivity is good for everybody, there's also a big difference between thin privilege and uh, body acceptance. Like Uh there's a very real thin privilege that exists and so people who live in larger bodies if you want to call them fat plus size whatever they have a very different experience uh than people who live in thin bodies however body hate body shame exists across the spectrum i just think it's important to kind of denote the two differences because one of them is a kind of a larger issue and the other one is a little bit more relatable i think that's where we all see a lot of those nature quotes of like love your body and so i just think it's important that there is a real political aspect that comes along with uh body positivity and fat acceptance i absolutely agree like i just want to say first off that i i have very little patience with people on the bigger end of the size spectrum who say things like, oh, that girl needs to eat a sandwich or whatever. Like, that's just not where it's at. But we do have to recognize that when there's a body positivity quote on Facebook, that some bodies are conditioned to be loved in a way that others are not. Yes. I love the way you phrase that. And I have a follow-up question, actually, and this might be my own thin privilege blinding me a little bit, but you had differentiated earlier between body positivity and the fat acceptance movement. Would you be able to sp- speak to that a little bit more, like the, the nuances or the differences within those? Sure. I mean, I think fat acceptance to me has come to feel more like a political movement mm-hmm. in a rad- and a radical political movement. I feel like body positivity can actually be slanted into wellness, which is like just a new catchphrase for dieting. Mm. Yes. You know, it's just like glitter on your old diet and call it wellness, you know. And I'm very suspicious of that brand of body positivity. Whereas fat acceptance really tends to go further in attacking things like concern trolling mm-hmm. and this idea that that everyone that comments on the internet is actually concerned about you. And also fat acceptance does things like provide resources for people who feel like they're not getting appropriate attention from their doctors. Also can be a great source for legal resources for people that feel like they're not getting a fair shake out at work. And all of these sort of prejudices that come with living in this capitalist corporate society. There was a magazine that had an article about how to deal with being next to a fat person on a plane. And it suggested that you take a picture of them and send it to the airline. And fat acceptance 
is the people like, uh, there's a great woman who posts anonymously called Your Fat Friend, Y-R Fat Friend. And she was the first person to sort of call this out and be like, I'm sorry, are you actually suggesting that people take pictures of their seatmate who already feels marginalized and, and called out just by the very fact of having to fit into a seat that no one can actually fit into, you know? Anyway, so that's what I feel like the major difference between those two movements. Mm, thank you. I completely agree. And I think the the one thing I would say that just kind of like sums that all up too is that I feel like body positivity is a branding movement. Fat acceptance is more political, actually taking action, and is more focused on the actual marginalized bodies. Whereas body positivity is something kind of generic for everybody. Like we should all love ourselves more, which is true, but there's a major difference between the two. Right. It's like as if all lives matter was somehow benevolent. <laughs> right. It's right. sort of like where I feel like body positivity sort of sits, uh -huh. you know? If people were like, all lives matter, black lives, but also all lives, yeah. then, you know, it That's would be That's a really interesting parallel to draw, actually. I, I really enjoy it. So that, thank you for sharing and letting me go off a little off script a little bit here. No, I love it. <laughs> so um, I want to switch gears. I think, first of all, thank you for sharing those experiences with me. I want to switch gears because we are called Sex Talk Happy Hour. Hell so yeah. I would love to talk about sex I'm and shimmying over here. <laughs> Lisa is literally shimmying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... In your everyday lives, recognizing that all of us have different experiences, how often do you get to talk about sex and intimacy with people outside of your inner circle, right? So not your best friends. Oh, a lot. <laughs> but also, like, I'm a performer, so... Sure. You know, uh, my circles tend to be um, very mercurial, you know? They're very... They change a lot, and... I'm often in a place for weeks with people I've never met before, and we're often working on things that are very sensitive. So you end up talking about these things a lot in an almost intellectual framework, but then you go out together afterwards, and then you just end up talking about them. Right. You know, I feel really lucky that sex and intimacy get to be part of a continued expression of self for me. Great. Thank you. I have a different experience uh, because I am unfortunately, my broader circles don't always look like that. They sometimes do. Right. Um, and I try to aim to be in circles that are like that because it's more fun. But I find myself in circles, like maybe if I'm out to drinks with coworkers or maybe people I don't know very well, I'm often edged out of those conversations about sex and intimacy because uh, people look at me and assume that I don't have things to share. That's messed up. That is what I get pretty often. And it's never so explicit, which a lot of fat phobia is not so direct. But it's just sort of implied where, you know, perhaps I jump in to tell a story and somebody else cuts in to tell one. I'm somehow not looked at very often during those conversations. People are uncomfortable with it. So I would say that, like, I don't have many opportunities. Although I will also say, I shove myself into those opportunities. Yeah. And I make it known, which I think is important, that I make myself known to be, I don't know, a human being uh -huh. who also has sex and intimacy and just happens to live in a body type that's not weight compliant. Mm. That's super interesting because I think about it that, like, I identified immediately when you were sort of talking about that 
that feeling of being edged out and somehow overlooked in these conversations, but like deliberately left out. Mm -hmm. And every time that has happened to me, it has happened in the more corporate applications of my work. Mm -hmm. It's like I will work on a show for months with somebody and we will have a great time and we will talk about all things under the sun. But as soon as the PR agents come in or like the network comes in and they're trying to finagle these things, then all of a sudden I'm perceived as a really asexual figure. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good transition into my next question, which oh, I, I don't think you meant to do that. <laughs> it's a perfect welcome, transition. Jeannie. Thank you so much, Ashley. <laughs> so I'll name first and foremost that I'm guilty of this, of uh, that when we have conversations around quote unquote body positivity or fat acceptance, we also tend to talk about plus bodies in a really neutral and desexualized way, which is actually antithetical to what body positivity really stands for, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I'll admit that my first round of questions that I emailed to you two were super boring and stale and kind of took after this neutral, desexualized nature. And so me as someone who tries to identify as an ally, I want to apologize about that. But I also want to take the next step and ask, like, what are your thoughts around this neutralization, right? This is an experience that both of you have, have had and in very different ways in different settings, what is that like for you two? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for like saying that and acknowledging that because, you know, it's a tricky thing to broach. It's a, tip, a tricky topic to be like, hey, by the way, I would like you to see me as a sexual human. Right? <laughs> like, that's a hard thing to say, particularly if you're not trying to sleep with the person right. that you were saying that to. I'm not having sex with you, but I need you to acknowledge that I do have that sex. That I do have sex, <laughs> exactly. And so what I, what I have really noticed is that there is quite a, like, it's an extreme one way or the other. Either we do not have genitals and we are like teddy bear humans. Right, we're smooth down there. Smooth like down Kendall's. there, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or we are over-sexualized in a humorous way. I think about like Fat Amy in um, mm -hmm. Pitch Perfect. I think about Melissa McCarthy's character in Bridesmaids. These women who instead of being like desexualized are hypersexual and it comes off as desperate and therefore funny mm -hmm. because they just want to bang anything that walks in front of them, which is again, not a human perspective. That's not, you know, some people may experience that, but they're unlikely uh, to be like approaching men in airplane bathrooms and telling them they want to climb them like tree trunks, you right. know? And so I have noticed that there's a big swing one way or the other, and it can be really dehumanizing and make me feel unworthy. Yeah, I just want to add it. This is Jeannie, and, and this is a person who has not experienced life in a plus body, but I often find that hypersexualization leads to fetishization. Yes. Mm -hmm. Fetishization is another thing I want to touch on really quick, which is a, a big issue that I experience when it comes to my intimate relationships, because sometimes it can be hard to tell whether or not you are interested in my body because you're attracted to it, or you're interested in the fact that my body has fat on it. And uh, like I've been approached by men in bars that will say things like, 
I like a girl with some meat on her bones. To which I reply, would you like to cut some off and take it home with you? Right. (laughs) Because it doesn't have anything to do with me. And I think that that is the big issue with fetishization. You can have types. You can have things that you're attracted to. You can be more attracted to fat bodies and other things. But you also need to be attracted to the person that's in the body. Otherwise, it becomes a very dehumanizing Mm. situation. Right. And it's really nuanced, that sort of thing. Yes. And it's one of the... And it's interesting, Jeannie, that because I feel like that's one of the areas where your experience and our experience overlaps. I agree. As an Asian American woman, yeah. that you're, there's so much fetishization that there is a nuance because you want them to like all of it. You know what I mean? You don't. You don't want them to like you in spite of your fat. Right. Like, that's an effed up scene. Right. You know, like there's no, there's there's no room for that because then you feel like there's a constant need for improvement and all this sort of thing but you do want to be liked for who you are not what you are it's the whole picture it's the whole picture like I have had men say things like I've never slept with anyone who looks like you before Uh. I've had men say oh I sleep with girls who are bigger than you all the time both of those terrible statements. Uh-huh. No, thank you. Uh-huh. And because, again, it makes it so exclusively about my body. Like, I right. want you to be into what I'm bringing to the table, but not exclusively that. Right. You're I like, want to be interchangeable with another fat body. Right. You've never slept with me, though. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. that's, I love As the way you phrase that. human being. <laughs> right. Hi. Right. It's interesting. You were talking about uh, hypersexualization, and I was just thinking sort of, there's, like in American theater, there's actually a pretty strong tradition of the hypersexualized, overweight American female, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And also sort of being a sort of shrewish yep. character as well. True or maternal. Mm-hmm. So they want to fall into your big fat arms because you're going to care for them like a mother. Yeah. That's real too. Like that's, some people just come looking for a mama. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know if boobs are a trigger or what, <laughs> but like that is, that is a real thing in the mm-hmm. dating world. But um, in terms of, of being sexually neutral, there's... Neutralized. Yes, neutralized. Thank you. There is this sense of the modern dating pool and about how we exist outside of it. Mm-hmm. Like just... The dating pool feels like an extension of a lot of things in our lives, which is that there is a section for everyone else, and then there is a section for us. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to shop in the straight sizes, mm-hmm. except for maybe accessories, you know? And and that's how dating feels, that every now and again there's going to be someone that you can pull from the straight sizes, but by and large you are a special interest group. And you're often treated as that. And that's actually not the reality of sexual interest. Like, the people that are in, that have been interested in me sexually have run the gamut. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I truly mean that. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a real, it's a small world mm. up in, up in my, my business. I, <laughs> <laughs> 
completely agree. I have had the same experience where I have not found that there is a certain type of person who's attracted to me. It really, really ranges, sometimes surprisingly, which helps me sort of realize where my own biases are, like where I'm surprised yes. that somebody is interested in me because of the way that they look. Mm, um, like which the is, internalized stuff. Exactly, mm, which yeah. is like as somebody who has done a lot of work in this space and who's somebody who has a lot of these discussions and reads a lot of articles, I still battle against internalized fat phobia when it comes to myself. There's still room for me to grow in realizing that like, I am a sexual being. So it's a battle that's both internal and external that we're fighting all the time. Yes. And I, I, I have had experiences like that in the past few years even where like somebody that I was into 15 years ago and would have never approached because I assumed that he could never be. And this is this actually the resolution of this is kind of equally messed up. I'm going to be really honest about that. And and then he married a fat girl, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Does that mean that I could? And actually, maybe no, it doesn't. But like, also, I was assuming that there was no leeway there that he was. Too conventional and too thin and too whatever. I've had that same experience where people from my past I will finally get to be intimate with years later at a stage where I'm actually, I weigh much more. My body looks much different than when I knew them at a time where I thought I could never have them because I was too fat then. And here I am so much fatter and now finally having that experience that I wanted however many years ago. Um, and it is a little gratifying and a little sad. Yeah, I want to tap into something you said earlier, Lisa, about the internalized piece of it because I think it's a really great parallel and this is probably one of the one areas in which the conversations around power and privilege are actually not explored in the way that race, gender, homophobia, transphobia, ability status is nowadays. Mm -hmm. And I would love to hear any any thoughts you have about that because I think, I think fat phobia is a system Absolutely. All you have to do is ask a plus size person about their experiences with a doctor, right? I would love to hear what that's like for you as, as uh, having it be an oppressed identity and oppressed experience by our culture, but not have it acknowledged as so. Yeah. So um, I have done a lot of work around a bunch of categories in my life, one of them being the way that I look in clothes. And that came from me working in size inclusive fashion. And so suddenly those doors were open to me. I started taking physically taking up more space in my world, taking up more space in conversations. But the one area that I'm still kind of working towards is romantic and sex. Uh, romantic uh, and, and sex is its own little category and you have your own vulnerabilities that require just as much work as when you do it anywhere else. I take a great outfit of the day selfie where I feel really cute, but I can still feel a little self-conscious in like intimate situations. And it's an area I'm, you know, working towards, but it's just one of those things too, where as confident as you can be in some areas, you have to put that love towards all areas in order to break out a lot of that internalized stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would say a big part of the reason that that's the case too, is that 
the barrier of uh, fat bodies being seen as sexual and sexual in a healthy way has still had very little progress. We have had a lot of progress in fashion, even in activism. We're seeing things like Ashley's referenced people on airplanes, doctors, you know, ca calling just calling people rude mm -hmm. names out in public. We've seen some progress there. However, there's still this elusive world of sex that is only sort of reserved for weight compliant people. We see it in the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, yep. where the uh, CEO straight up said, hey, it's not a fantasy. It's not a fantasy. And we have seen that the, uh, and Ashley can definitely speak to this, what we see in media as far as fat bodies and sex uh -huh. is almost entirely either man and woman in bed, almost fully clothed because they're a dowdy husband and wife couple, or it's humorous, or it's a joke, yeah. or it's funny. And because the world has not come very far in changing its ideas about sexuality and body positivity, it's been harder for me to. And that's a really weird thing for me, because what uh, is affected by the media affects me personally and professionally. Right. Because I'm a happily married lady, and so my sex life is kind of awesome. Yay! But my professional life is very predicated upon societal norms and what people want to show on film and television and theater. So that gets really complicated, and I also feel like I want to be responsible for breaking down those things. But I also suffer from internalized fat phobia. And so I have a sort of go-to where whenever I feel slighted or whenever I feel like there was something I should have gotten that I didn't, whether it's a role or an invitation or respect or anything... I tend to blame it on my size. Mm. Me too. If there is an award ceremony I don't get invited to, it is because that production company feels like I won't cut as nice of a figure on the red carpet as the other women in that cast will. Mm. And honestly, I don't know if those things are true. I will never know if those things are true. Because who the hell would ever tell me? Right, who would admit mm -hmm. that, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that I use it as a buffer that prevents me from examining other things about myself. But also, there have definitely been times, and listen, this is just me, where, can, can I say shit? I know that shit is real. Like, it's oh, yeah. real, and my thin co-stars are saying, well, I don't think it's that. Mm. And it's like, yeah, but you're going, and I'm not, mm -hmm. and I'm eight slots higher on the call sheet than you are. So why are you going? I think that's a really great mm -hmm. example to share because I think that's an experience a lot of women have. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people of color have a lot of... LGBTQ, trans, queer folks have about, well, I don't think it was that. I, I think you're being too sensitive. I think yes. maybe you're, you know, all that kind of, I, I mean, there's so many TV shows literally about this topic. So I, I think uh, hopefully listeners, you're being able to draw the parallels between the, the systems. Yeah. And I will say just because you mentioned it, and I this is something I kind of wanted to say, your fat friend is not sensitive. Your fat friend is so much stronger than you know because every single day she has to battle this. And so if you say something to her and it hurts her feelings, she's not being sensitive. What has happened is you have cut 
so deep because you are her friend right. and now you're the one making her feel like this, that that hurts. Yeah. So even if you are not intending to do it, if you are the one that hurts your fat friend, it's not because she's sensitive. She has the thickest skin of a lot of people out there, but it is your actions as a loved one that has cut her down. Right. You're a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Intentionally or not, yeah. you know, because it comes from a well-meaning place often that people just don't realize that they either comes off as patronizing or it comes off as dismissive or one of those other things that your good friends are not meaning to do to you right but because they're either they are battling their own internalized stuff or they just don't want to believe that this happens to you yeah. all the time yes and which is again a very coming from a very loving place but is still dismissive which I find with actors all the time because really for me to say that these things are happening is an indictment on an industry mm-hmm Yep. And and then it gets really personal because it's not just an indictment on an industry. It's an indictment on the people that are producing this particular project. And it's an indictment on the industry that they benefit from. Uh-huh. Yep. Absolutely. Right. And it is, you know, I beat myself up about that because I think like, well, you know, industry being industry, like everybody told you that this is exactly how it was. And you decided to go into this anyway. Mm-hmm. And you can't be mad at it being the nature that it has always been. But that's been. crap. You can always be mad at I it. Know. And you should be mad at it. We're all <laughs> mad at it. I'm really good at being mad at it. I'll just say that. Um, but yes, and I have some really good friends who have gotten very used to my side eye and have now stopped having that response when I'm like, Oh, no, that person doesn't like fat people. And sometimes it's so complicated because that person is fat. Yep. Like, there was a publicist I met once, and I was like, oh, she doesn't like fat people. Mm -hmm. And my friend was like, but she's fat. And I was like, uh, duh. Honestly, to a certain degree... A lot of fat people hate other fat people. Yeah. It's it's a it's a coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism. Just like it's siding with the oppressor, right? Yeah. Like, well, if I hate you and I side myself there, I'm safe, right. you know? And that's just not the way that it works. Right. If I'm a fat person with all thin friends, am I really a fat person? Mm. Right. If I'm a fat person with all fat people, then I've just given up. Right. Is sort of, I think, the idea behind it. Mm, that's know. such an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Well, in keeping with the idea of not neutralizing fat bodies, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you kind of more of a fun question if you're open to sharing, I'm which is what is important to you when it comes to sex? Like what turns you on? What turns you off? What are the things that are important to you? Like what needs to be there? Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to you to, to kind of being like it's about the whole experience like the whole person because I want my partner to be touching me I want them to appreciate my body I want them to be into it I just don't want to feel like it is like I could mentally be gone and they would still be having the same experience Mm. so for me that's what's really important is I want to feel like you're into it and if you're into it you will (laughs) you will be treated well (laughs) listener her whole face changed Yeah, I think that that's really important. And like, and I'm, I mean, I know that this is, this seems so fundamental, but it is so clear. 
I love communication in any form. It makes sex so much better. So whether that is like sort of more nonverbal, but like just kind of making noises and confirmation that way, whether that's dirty talk, well-played dirty talk, totally makes everything way better. Any way that you can kind of incorporate like communicating with your partner to be like, this is what is doing it for me and this is what's not, just makes the experience so much better. And it's just, it's not about like, may I play? my right hand on your right boob like I think consent is often paid like painted in this like, like robot twister right <laughs> exactly and it feels that way it's again like they people make consent out to be this like very like chaste thing when instead it can be like hey I'm gonna and then just slew of explicit words how yeah. does that sound to you sounds great thanks for asking right? <laughs> especially if it's, if it's said from behind you while, like, there's, like, kisses happening in that little area between back of ear and neck. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. No, that's hot. <laughs> um, for me, my game is, like, 80% mental. And it starts mm-hmm. so far in advance of actually being in a place where sex could happen. Mm. And just in the smallest ways. I'm going to describe it as sort of, like, this Bonnie and Clyde partnership feeling. But, like... It's not like we're robbing banks, you know what I mean? But it's just like, there's this sort of, I'm trying to describe it, there's this sense of a partnership, right? but like getting away with something, Mm. sort of, uh, instead of staring into each other's eyes, being side by side, casing the joint, you know what I mean? Like... Like, we're on a team together, and it's us versus the world, mm-hmm. and we're going to see what we can get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's naughty partnership. It's naughty it's partnership. Not, naughty teamwork. Yeah, naughty teamwork. <laughs> I Hashtag naughty teamwork, everyone. Let's get that trending. <laughs> yep. That is, that's, that's it. That's my turn on. <laughs> naughty teamwork. Um, I have to say, because I married someone whose art I loved so much, and that mm-hmm. was... What One of the things that I loved about him, not everything I loved about him, but that culturally that stuff is very important to me in terms of uh, eroticism. Like, And I think that one of the feelings that I've had in the past that has just like really been the winner for me is that in the moment, I'm not thinking about my body. I am not thinking about how I look, how I'm positioned, how the lighting is, if I'm making a weird face, if I, you know, if he's worried about the way that I'm groomed, if I'm like not, if I've forgotten all of that, then my partner is doing something very right. That's a great, that's a great standard actually to, to highlight that like when you just are in it with, with the person and the person's in it as well. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So Ashley, because you're the most famous person we've had on this podcast, (laughs) I do have to ask you about a unique experience that most folks do not have. Which is about filming a sex scene. Oh, yeah. So I know that you recently had a pretty steamy one. I did. Uh, in $1. So what was that like for you? Uh, it was awesome. Well, first of all, uh, the last time I had a sex scene was 2005. Mm. So that on Rescue Me? Yeah, on Rescue Me. 2004, 2005. And so I kept making these jokes about how we could just do like a side by side and see what a cruel mistress time has been. Because like that's 14 years, you know what I mean? Like I believe that aging is just seasoning and ripening, but it is a very different, like my body is a very different body than it was in 2004. 
That was compounded by the fact that I had been in Pittsburgh where $1 was shot for months with my friends who were all on the show with me. And through a quirk of the storytelling, the man who plays my husband is only in a couple scenes of the first episode, and I'm not in those scenes. And then he... Spoiler, everybody. He comes back. uh, The ninth episode is a flashback before he disappears. And so I didn't actually get to spend any time with him before the few days in which we filmed that episode. Oh, interesting. And so it was a lot. Like, you try and catch up a lot. I had heard great things about him uh, because the New York actor community is what it is. And James McMiniman, with whom I had the sex scene, um, who... Dear listeners, is mostly known, he's got a great body of work, but he's mostly known as being the guard on Orange is the New Black who rapes Pencil Tucky. So, mm. and when I say known, I mean people come up to him and are like, You raped Pencil Tucky. And he's like, yeah, I mean, my character wasn't really informed on what, like, didn't really know oh my what, but, like, I recognize that the power dynamic was that I'm a guard, so, but, like, none of those people are interested in that nuance of a conversation, you know, they, they're just like, can I take a picture with you? Super weird. But James is a lovely human, and so we got to hang out a few days, and we also made it a point to hang out, because... Not just the sex scene, but there's a whole bunch of scenes in that episode where uh, we are an estranged married couple who has a son, and he has come back into town after being gone for almost a year looking for work. So that relationship needed to be built very quickly Mm. and be able to be established very quickly within the episode. That said, I was pretty excited about the sex scene when I read the episode. Craig Zobel, who directed it, is my friend. And he was really excited about it. And my friend Graham Gordy wrote the episode and he was really excited about it. And so their excitement was infectious. And James was really nice. And wardrobe, uh, thank God. And this is uh, a weird side, but like my friend Eden Miller was in wardrobe for this show. And she is better known as the designer for the line Kabiria which was the first plus-size line ever shown at New York Fashion Week. Wow, cool. Um, And she's also a costumer. And so she took over from episode one. She said, I will do Ashley's fittings. You can lay out what you want for her, but I will be in the room with her. I will take care of her. And in a sex scene, that's really important because you don't know what's going to be shown and what's not. And so uh, on the day, they came in with one of those great, like, six hooky hanger things. And it was, like, from thong to full coverage panty on it. And they were like, we'll just see. And when it came down to the actual sex scene, we ended up being able for me to wear a boy short Mm. on the bottom. And he was wearing boxers. And there were, like, sheets sort of around my hips. I was on top. And then I was topless. 
I've always thought about the the nuances of being an actor or actress within a if in a sex scene. I've always been like, I don't think I could do that. Like I'm I I, I get very self. You know, all of us, right? Most of us, but right. I don't know. Maybe not all of us, but I would. Thank you so much for sharing that oh, experience. Because no, it's I a love it's it. a job, but at the same time, it's still your body, right? And that's an intimate situation that you are in, regardless of if you are professional and regardless of if there are 15 people in the room because there needs to be grips and people holding you know lights and the whole thing right. like it is still an intimate situation so having somebody there who's making it more comfortable and having sort of like the coverage that you need I think is probably still very important and you know and then it's got to feel real yeah. because the worst thing in the world is to watch a sex scene and be cringing yeah. when it's not supposed to be a cringy sex scene yeah like yes. you're supposed to be in it with them and for the record, it was a great episode, but it is really wonderful to see representation like that. And like, it was extra special for me because I know Ashley, you know, we, we have a friendship history outside of that. But even putting that aside, like just being able to see back rolls and being able to Yo, see... that's real. Yeah, just something that feels like something I can identify more with and not have it be a joke. Not have it be, um, you know, stereotype. A, a stereotype, not have it be an ugly, have it be like a real moment between these two people that have a serious history and that have a serious relationship. And to like really get to have that experience was, was really moving for me. I feel like other than Gabourey Sidibe's scenes on Empire. So hot. So hot. So hot. I can't think of another mainstream depiction. I was literally about to say that, that I can't think of another example except for that scene. Uh -huh. yeah. And, so and I have to say that, uh, talk about internalized fat phobia, like when I first saw the cut that they were going to use, because I didn't see anything in monitor at all. So uh, when I first saw the episode, it starts on my back. And my initial reaction was like, Oh, God, I really should have, I don't know, maybe I should have, I don't know, dieted or done something. And, of course, I, my second thought was, like, girl, come on. Like, that is the whole point. If you had dieted that off, you wouldn't be different than anyone else that usually gets depicted in sex scenes. Yeah. And here's the other thing I'll say really quick on this, because I think it's, while it's wonderful for women, like it's really, like for me, I got really emotional. I also think that it's really, really good for men, because what I have noticed is that a lot of men that I have talked to that have interest in a variation of body types are often sort of shamed for their interest in somebody other than the like stereotypical like hot body um, when they're like hey I actually think lots of bodies are hot and that is harder for men and when men are constantly fed and I'm just using our general heteronormative terms here because I think that's really a big problem with the patriarchy so please excuse my generalizations but I think that when men are often fed only one image of what's sexy through the media, they then feel only one thing can be or should be sexy. Right. So not only is this wonderful for women who are learning to embrace their own bodies, but men being like, yeah, I think that's hot. Yeah, I think that's great. And being able to like express what they're interested in in a way that doesn't turn into fetishization then. Because they don't have to hide it. They don't yep. have to squirrel it away. I actually think it goes even further. I feel like we are shamed about our bodies in the context of how men feel about having fat partners. Like, I remember when I was getting married, I went on Pinterest to find fat wedding dresses, and I put in fat bride, and what I found was 
no less than six different Pinterest pages titled identically by six different people, Nobody Likes a Fat Bride. Wow. And I was like, well, someone does. She's getting married, but whatever. And I think that that's, that's part of what we do. It's all sort of like this straight, cis, patriarchal thing mm. that, like, as accoutrement to the men, we are either a merit or a demerit on their social standing. And that has to do with how much we fit a perceived norm. Right. And I do think one of the reasons that Ashley and I have fallen into talking specifically about like m like male-female relationships is that this is a big problem within the patriarchy. Yeah. And not to say that there is not fat phobia in queer relationships because uh, I have heard and seen things of that nature. But I also think that maybe too, with sort of queer people already rebelling and already feeling like they're outside of the norms, they have that sort of step further into acceptance of alternative bodies as well. Um, and again, this is more generalizations across the board, but I do think that a big issue with this does come stem from a patriarchy where men's opinions of women are valued as the highest. And it's men's opinion of women that they want to sleep with specifically. That's really interesting because then like I, as a woman who also has sex with women, mm -hmm. like when I am embodying sort of, because I, I consider personally for me, gender expression to be very fluid. So when I am in my butchest states, my weight becomes a non-issue completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm as opposed to in sort of a femme state. But dealing with other women in a sexual context, my weight is much less of an issue than it was dealing with men. Well, thank you so much for sharing that experience. I have loved having this conversation with both of you. I love both of you so, so intensely. So I am honored that you came all the way up to Harlem to talk with me today. So I wanna ask, and please know that you don't actually have to share this if you don't feel like it, but where can people find you? Is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at Ashley. That's with a lie at the end. Ashley underscore Atkinson. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ashley Atkinson. I'm on Facebook. Yeah. And I have some projects that are coming up that are pretty exciting, but I cannot speak of them. So what I will do instead is I will say that, um, my husband's documentary on Hank's saloon, uh, which is the third in the character installment, uh, which was made with my fancy camera, nice. uh, will be out in the next few months. So go to character on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. And if you haven't yet, go see Black Klansman. Yes! And I am not a famous actress, <laughs> but if you like plus size outfit of the day photos and cute cocker spaniels, <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at at Lisa Rose zero zero because it is just a lot of like cute fat outfits and my senior cocker spaniel dog. So come find me there. Oh, and also can I just say that Lisa is one of the best stylists in the biz. So if so, if you're New York City based mm -hmm, and you need some help, actually you could probably do it virtually. Honestly, probably one of her genius things is you email her and you go like, I need something to go with this. And then she will just have a lookbook ready for you. 
A, le- like. a legitimate lookbook. Yeah. And she did it for my wedding. So, folks, I will definitely keep their Instagram handles on our episode description. So, keep an eye out for that. So, follow these two beautiful, fierce women who happen to have plus size bodies and are also fierce AF. Thank you so much for being here for Sex Talk Happy Hour. Thanks, Jeannie. Thanks, Jeannie. We love you. Okay, now it's time for our segment Let's Talk Sex. Oh, wait. No, it isn't. Listeners, after almost a year, we have actually run out of clips for the Let's Talk Sex segment. We want to hear from you. So if you're interested in participating, please email me directly at jyoon at svfreenyc.org. I'll also make sure that it's in our episode description so that you can check it out there. Thank you to the Alliance staff for supporting this project, to Nikki Cruz, our social media expert, to Ashley and Lisa. Thank you so much for being part of this episode and for sharing your brilliant thoughts. I had the most fun recording with you too. And thank you for listening. Keep telling your friends about Sex Talk Happy Hour because word of mouth is the best way to get others to tune in. We appreciate deeply all of the folks who have already spread the word and we hope you continue to enjoy the episodes that we make. Thank you for being you. And as always, let us know if you have any topics you want to hear about or if you have any feedback or comments. You can tweet at us at NYCAASA or message us on Instagram at NYC Alliance. Just make sure you use our hashtag, hashtag sex talk happy hour, all one word. Thanks so much for listening today and we hope you stay warm out there. Ciao.